0: Hey guys, my name is Ishan Rola, and welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, a podcast for the unheard voices in our communities. Each episode, we will be providing a platform for people to share their experiences, perspectives, and thoughts on a wide range of public issues. Quick quick trigger warning, some of the topics that we do discuss on here will be a little bit sensitive. This week, a wonderful student is coming on to share her journey dealing with mental health and her thoughts on the stigma surrounding such issues. I don't want to take any more time because I'm really excited for you guys to hear your story. So, without further ado, let's get right into it. Alrighty, baby. so let's just get started. Uh, how did your story begin? Oh, geez. Um It honestly
1: all started in... Sixth grade is when I really noticed
0: because
1: mm-hmm. in sixth in sixth grade it was kind of uh, that's the time when most people when most people are starting to go through puberty so my hormones were all out of whack but it seemed like mine were more out of whack than other people yeah. and I couldn't really figure out why.
0: Well, how so? Um,
1: well, for one thing, I would have to miss class a lot in middle school because I would get these blinding migraines where I would literally just lose all of my peripheral vision and I would have to spend at least a class period just in the nurse's office because I just, it was so painful and I just, I couldn't see that was when I knew that something was really, really wrong and I was trying to I was trying to look it up like then because I had kind of an inkling because I had this like I had this feeling of like I used to be like you can ask anyone like when I was in elementary school and when I was a little kid I was a social butterfly and like I was just I wanted to talk to everyone I wanted to be friends with everyone but for whatever reason in sixth grade like this switch flipped in my brain and it was just I, did, I didn't want to do that anymore it was some socialization was something I once enjoyed but then I could barely I could barely get to be in a classroom surrounded by a bunch of kids and like at the end of the day when the hallways would fill up and everyone was at their walkers and talking and it got really loud I just I felt myself kind of closing down that was like the very beginning of it and it just kind
0: of slowly got worse as time went on. That was a bit a very scary and abrupt, like, mental change as, like, a little, as a kid.
1: It was very, it was very scary, and that's part of the reason why I didn't, like, I didn't, like, tell my parents anything, because, one, it was scary, I didn't know how they would react, and I mean, what did, what did I know? I, <laughs> I was this, I was this kid in sixth grade, like, what did I know yeah. about health and the brain and whatever else,
0: so... So how did it how did it if if you don't mind me asking, how did it get worse? Like
1: so during sixth grade I think it was it was just the beginning stages of it, but I'll start this off I'll start this off right now. Like I have no memories from sixth through ninth grade. Um I can remember I remember my best friends, but that's because we've been friends forever and we still hang out and that's the only reason I remember. Yeah. Um, and I remember like one or two teachers but mm-hmm. like I've had, friend- I've had friends come up to me and talk about things that have happened um, and I just it's weird to it's weird to think that I don't remember these things. They can like describe it in de- they you can like they can describe it in detail and I still have no idea what they're talking about just because I I don't remember it which is really scary when you realize that your anxiety has just taken part of your life where even the good even the good memories are just gone they don't exist anymore
0: so just like was it then like you just stopped forgetting or just now like reflecting you just can't remember anything
1: now, looking back, I can't remember anything, because now that I'm a senior in college, and, like, I'm about to graduate, like, we're talking about, um, oh, memories of this and memories of that, and for for a lot of it, I'm just, like, I have absolutely no recollection of that, and even now, I still, uh, I still see that in my daily life. I, ha- I have a really horrible, horrible memory, and I used to be, I used to be okay at that, but, now, pretty much, if I, if I don't write it down and have it, like, in front of my face almost 24-7, I will forget
0: it. Yeah.
1: And it's just, it's really, and like I said, it's just really scary to know that you're, that whatever is happening in your brain just does not click or make that connection in the slightest.
0: Yeah. And do you think your uh, anxiety or uh, that switch that you had that contributed to it or it still contributes to that t- today? Or is it just something natural? Yeah.
1: Um, I, honestly, it's it's definitely due to my anxiety because even before I realized that I had an anxiety issue, it was I could could just remember things. Like, I didn't even really have to use like, the agendas they gave us in elementary school. As time went on, I realized that I do need to write everything down or else I am going to forget things. It's just it, I'm pretty sure my anxiety. My anxiety has also made me just, just also be like, if you don't write this down, you are for sh- for sure going to forget it. Like even if I did, even if I didn't write it down, I could still remember it. But my anxiety makes me think that if I don't write this down, I am going to forget it, and I'm going to let myself down, and I'm going to let
0: someone else down. Yeah. So so your anxiety is making like making your memory problem just so much worse. It's like it's amplifying it. Yeah,
1: mm. it is, and for a while, I had no idea that that was, that was something that could happen when you have anxiety or depression, yeah. but just through, just through, just through like on different online communities, just like through browsing through Facebook, all of a sudden, people, people relate to it, and I saw, and I saw a blog post, I think it was on to write Love on Her Arms website, and it was like, no one ever, no one ever talked about, um. No one ever talked about how anxiety and depression just, like, takes away your memory. And I had never thought about it like that before. But my, like, for example, my girlfriend and I were talking one night. And she was like, I wonder, she asked me what I was like in middle school. And I got, I not we both got really sad when I said, honestly, I can't remember. Oh <laughs> like, goodness. I don't know, I don't know what I was like.
0: So all those memories from like such an important part of your life has just been taken away.
1: Exactly, and I kind of come to terms with it, but it's also sad to think about the fact that like I can't rem- I can't remember these 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 things that happened. Like I remember I remember very certain people, like specific people, but I don't remember like really the that happens. Like I can remember the stuff I learned in school because, well, we, we learned essentially the same stuff through elementary school up <laughs> through middle school. Um, but yeah. it's um, yeah it's just crazy it's just crazy like that entire part of my life I may as well have just not been there.
0: So you say that's a lot of middle school. Did you do you have memories in high school that you also forgot, or did it seem, did it get better, or that issue?
1: So, it got a little, that issue of, like, the memory loss got a little bit better in high school, but high school is also when I started, like, seeking treatment for my issues. Mm -hmm. So, my freshman year of high school, I still really can't remember a whole lot about it, Mm -hmm. Um, because that was one of those years where I just, I just couldn't remember anything. I really only, I only, really only remember, like, teachers and then my three best friends that I hung out with all the time. Um... But in between, I think, well, starting in my sophomore year is when my anxiety took a turn for the worse. Mm -hmm. And so sophomore year is when, like, the panic attacks started. And I would come home and be exhausted and sleep for four hours until dinner. And then I would wake up, eat dinner, and then I would be up until three in the morning, and then I'd be miserable because I'd have to wake up at six and do school at seven thirty.
0: What would you be doing until three in the morning?
1: That's the thing. Like I was just trying my best to fall asleep. I would watch. I would watch videos. I would read books. Yeah, I would yeah. just scroll through the internet. I would read. I would read fan fiction, and none of it seemed. None of it seemed to help me. I just. I pretty much. I pretty much stayed awake until my body just gave up but sophomore years I started self-harming and when the suicidal thoughts started hitting my brain um and my form of self-harm really wasn't like wasn't like the traditional like cutting your wrists or anything like that but you can still see on my upper arms I have these I have some tiny scars from basically where I would not If I ever, if I got, like, a cut or a scab or even, like, a zit, I would just constantly, constantly, constantly pick at it, and I couldn't stop. It was this weird, it was this weird compulsion I had, and, like, nothing would heal, so I was just, I was just pretty much always covered in, like, like scabs and scars and everything like that, and I couldn't figure, I couldn't figure out why, why I was doing that at first, but it made me feel at least a little bit better for a while, and... Actually, in eighth grade is when the self-harming was the worst because, so I've had, I've had skin problems since I was a little kid. Um, but in eighth grade, I had a small, like, patch of dry skin on my right bicep. And I just kept scratching at it and picking at it until my entire arm was just, it almost, it it looked infected. Like I could not wear short sleeves or anything yeah. because my the entirety of my upper arm was just was just covered in in like this dry skin. And I and I don't mean to get graphic. Oh no, yeah. But course. it was like it was just it was hot, It was sticky. It was sticky. It was it was disgusting. Yeah. And but I couldn't do anything. And I didn't want to tell my mom because my mom's ultimate reaction would be wow, you should have been putting on more lotion, but (laughs) the lotion wasn't the issue. It was the fact that I just, I could not stop looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, So eventually that got better, but I still, I still, like, to this day, if I'm having, like, a really, really bad day with my anxiety, will still kind of, like, take a peek in and just nowhere near as bad as I used to, but, but that does still happen. And sophomore year of high school is also when the suicidal thoughts started happening. Um, not anything where I made like solid plans yeah. to take my own life, but it was definitely a thought that I had where I would think about what are the what are the easiest ways for me to do this? Like my parents don't have a gun and I don't really have a place to hang myself in my house. So drugs are really my only choice. So what would be what would be that what would be that option? But I never really pursued those thoughts Seriously, I guess, but they definitely
0: were in my mind. Was there like a certain like time point or certain events that happened that led you to, you know, start thinking in like about suicide? I really don't think it was a
1: specific instance. Okay. Um, I, I think because at that point, like I have no memories from sixth through ninth grade. Like that's three years. Where I was not getting help for my anxiety disorder, and I wasn't, I, I didn't want to tell anyone about it because I was like, this might be right, but I, but I also may be wrong, and it could be nothing. Maybe this is something that everyone goes through, and everyone else is feeling the same way. Because I mean, for most people, middle school and high school are tumultuous times in their lives. So I thought, oh, this is just part of growing up. But yeah I don't think it was I don't think it was one particular moment it was just I've been going through this for three and at my sophomore year going on four years and I and I was like I just I can't deal with this anymore because when
0: they don't tired. tell
1: you about anxiety is that it's just it's just tiring
0: yeah.
1: it's exhausting
0: so you were suicidal I'm so sorry to hear that I hope things have changed and if so like how did how were you able to get out of that that that, that place uh,
1: well so what happened was I think this was at the very beginning of my junior year of high
0: school so if you remember our teacher the
1: teacher at the high school Miss Llewellyn yes yes I love Miss Llewellyn um so I was in I wasn't even in her English class at the time, but I was in her homeroom all throughout, all throughout high school, and yeah. I was a student aide in her class. And um, I was during a homeroom one day. I forget what reason we were gathered for, but not that it really matters, because none of those homerooms matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, during one of those homerooms, I was working on a poem for my other English class, and I don't know what happened, but, like, I don't, even, I don't even remember writing the poem that I did. Like, I'm pretty, I'm, I don't know what happened, but if I blacked out or if I just, like, had a panic attack and completely zoned out and this just happened. But for whatever reason, there was some spark in me. I was like, hmm, I should have Miss Llewellyn look through this
0: and yeah.
1: edit it tell me if it's good and give me a critique about it. Yeah. And so I had, I had given it to her and she said, I will give this back to you by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So, it was, so at the end of the day, um, I was walking past her room to head to the buses and she pulled me into her room and she goes, Hey, I read your poem, and just so you know, I have reached out to the counselor because what you wrote in there is very concerning, and i I can see that you're kind of going through something. And it was, and at first, like in my in my brain, like i I was like, I don't want to see a counselor. I don't want to see a counselor. Like that's not what I asked you to do. I just wanted to critique this poem. Yeah. Uh, but looking back now, like, I recognize that that was my way of asking for help.
0: That's fair. What um, was the poem, do you remember what the poem was about at all, or? Uh, it, it was about a girl
1: killing herself. Yeah, and I have, <laughs> like, every traditional emo kid, I posted
0: all my poetry on Tumblr for the longest time. <laughs> far back, far back and up in my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, um, you can see that
1: poem, but I really don't like to look at it all that much because
0: because
1: uh, re- rereading it just brings back all these horrible memories. But Miss Llewellyn had read it, and I was sitting there just having this internal panic because I was like, I don't, I, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to see counselor, I don't want to talk to someone about this. Like, who's going to talk to me about this? Yeah. And then I will never forget these words because they mean that much to me. She said to me, it would make me very sad if I didn't see your smiling face in the hallways every day. And, then I said, okay. And
0: I walked out. That must have meant so much, like, that she didn't demonize it, I guess? You know? Or just...
1: Yeah, which I was, which I
0: was very, which I was
1: very, very thankful for. Um, it made me really happy
0: that she didn't demonize it yeah, or she yeah.
1: didn't think of me any yeah, worse or anything
0: like that. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was really, really happy yeah. about that. Now, um, you're, you're very close with Miss Llewellyn even to this day. Did that, I guess, uh, build a stronger relationship with you guys or did she help you throughout the next few years as you continue to work with anxiety?
1: I well, me and her, me and her were pretty close. Um, me and her were pretty close to begin with, just because I don't know, I don't know what happened. But her and I just kind of, just kind of clicked. And when I took my freshman year honors English course yeah. with her, I, I was like, wow, this is a really cool class. I really like this. I really like the teacher. And then when I found out being a student aide was a thing, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to be a student aide for her. But I think that year that moment really brought us closer and it was nice because she she helped check up on me throughout my last couple years in high school and she also I knew was someone where that I could go to and talk to no matter what and she wouldn't judge me or anything like that and also because I had been student aiding in her classroom, and I had been in her classroom, and she was my home room teacher, her classroom really felt like a safe space to me, and so if I was, when I was having a bad day, like if I, like when I was student aiding during my study hall when I could go to her classroom was when I felt the best, because yeah. she was there, and she, and I, even if we didn't talk that day, just knowing that she was there helped me so much.
0: Yeah. Did you open up to any of your friends about what you were dealing with or did you try to keep it away from them?
1: I really tried to keep it away from them. I tried to keep it away from my friends and family because, again, my friends and family had only known me as as the social butterfly and that I wanted to talk to everyone. I wanted to be friends with everyone and I was always the person that people could go to if they were having a bad day and I didn't want them to think that they could no longer do that. You know, I didn't yeah. want them to think that they could no longer come to me because it would make me sad or whatever. Like, I still, I still wanted to help them. I still wanted to help people. It was just... But, yeah, so I tried to keep it all to myself until that day with, uh, with Miss Llewellyn
0: and did you tell your friends afterwards and your family afterwards
1: I didn't want to tell my family yeah afterwards. but um but the, counselor, the thing is is especially in like high schools and stuff if there is any threat of you maybe harming yourself or other people they have to tell your parents Yeah. and so we had to call my mom that day and my mom wasn't too happy that I ended up in the counselor's office Um, Mm. again it's it's not really a thing it's not really a conversation that I can remember because that day when I was in the counselor's office I spent most of it just sobbing my eyes out Um, but we had to call my mom and that's how she found out that I was starting to have some issues and then after that it was just kind of a slow process of telling my friends because like during some of my, during some of my classes, I would have to, I would have to leave because me and Mrs. Boeing like every week would have an hour meeting where we just where I just sat and talked and tried to let everything out. Um, and she also became one of my, one of my closest allies during this just because she did sit and listen to a lot of me crying mm-hmm. and having panic attacks and trying to figure things out. Um, but also in high school, I started like seeing like a counselor, but oh. my thing my thing with that was she was a nice lady and all, but after every meeting she had, Come in for like 15 minutes after the meeting, so we, so me and my mom could talk in a musical space, and that is not something that I wanted. It's something that I had to do anyway because I mean I was like 16, 17 at the time. What was I gonna say? Like I didn't have control
0: over my yeah. own like medical stuff. Any like at that point. Looking back um, at it, looking back at it, would you still have that last 15 minutes, or is it something you still think that it just wasn't necessary, or something that was too uncomfortable?
1: Looking back at it, I think it was still important to have those like last fifteen minutes. If I if I could go back and change anything, it would be what I said because I, like in the sessions, especially when my mom was in the room, I wasn't being totally honest because one, I didn't want my mom to worry about me or just my parents in general to worry about me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and two, it's just I at that point I was just too scared to share this information with much with much of anyone. So, it, looking back, I definitely would still have that that
0: fifteen that fifteen minutes just to talk. Um, so, yeah. Would Would you say the counseling sessions worked overall, or they helped?
1: They They did help for a little bit. I will say for for a little bit. Like I was I was okay. Um. So my senior my senior year high school, I, um, I was looking into getting into colleges and everything like that, and I, and I was doing a lot, I was doing a lot better, like, mm-hmm. Mrs. Bohink even told me one day, she's like, it's so, it's so nice to see you that you're doing better at seeing a counselor, talking to me, and everything like that, and I felt, I felt good, I felt fine, um, going in, going into freshman year of college was, was okay, like, it was obviously scary, because, like, I'm transitioning to a whole new school, like, I'm living on my own, and all that. But it, The counseling I would say Was like
0: a tempor- More of a temporary fix for me And not something that like Helped me long term That's fair uh, Did it ever resurface or the anxiety get bad After the counseling sessions? Um
1: Yes um, So In college in my sophomore year, especially second semester of my sophomore year, is when it got really bad again. And I recognized that I need to undo something here because mm-hmm. I do not want to fall back into that place that I was in in high school where mm-hmm. I was just, I was absolutely miserable. I don't want the majority of my college experience to be like that.
0: Was there a reason that you think it got like really bad again or was it just natural? Or something that just happens, you know uh, what I mean? I think,
1: yeah, I think part of it was natural, but also I think part of it was the fact that like I really just uh I really was struggling was struggling to like make any meaning- any meaningful connections while I was here, and like and like I knew that like it would take me a while. And like freshman year, you're just learning how to live on your own. So you might not uh, you'll make friends with people, that they might not. Be your very best friends for the rest of for the rest of college. But yeah. the thing is with me is that when I make friends with people, I want them all to be like my best friends. So that made it was making me really depressed and anxious. I was like, I don't I don't know why this is happening. Like, is it something I said? Is it the way I am, or something like that? And that kind that definitely made it worse. But I also think it was just because I stopped going to counseling in my senior year of high school because she was like to be doing a lot better let's see how this goes if you don't come to counseling for a while yeah. and i went okay and I, and I didn't go back because i was like oh like i feel fine i can i'm having a pretty easy time managing this so i didn't feel the need to go back until like my
0: sophomore year of college during those kinds sessions in high school I know that you would talk about experiences, how you felt. Would there be any exercises you would go through or things that she wanted you to retain so that you could try to manage it long-term by yourself? Like, well, how would she expect you to deal with this on your own?
1: She just using coping mechanisms and breathing exercises. Um, one of the ones that, the honestly, the only ones that I can really remember that she Taught me just because of it's so unique was to like was to pick two colors, one color that you associate with like bad things, and one that you associate as like a calming good color. So for me, the bad color was red, and the good calming color was like a light a light purple. Basically, what you do is you close your eyes and you imagine that your body is filled with that bad color, but then you imagine the good color just. Slowly
0: like paint dripping down, just slowly covering all of that bad all of that bad color that helps me relax a ton. that one's the one that helped me the most okay and so fast forward to sophomore year um that's a really cool interesting exercise uh fast forward to uh, uh, sophomore year then uh you have all these exercises, but you're still of course. I mean, it's hard to deal with this on your own. How did you combat that uh, growing anxiety or growing ish- those growing issues? I I tried the
1: breathing exercises that she taught me. I tried that exercise that seemed to help me in the past, but none of it seemed to have the same effect that it did when I was in high school. It's <laughs> their effects were just were very very temporary like in high school when i would do those exercises like in her office i would probably i would feel okay for a a good long time after that at least until at least until my next appointment with her Mm -hmm. but as i got older and as i started going into college it was just the breathing exercises were very temporary and they would i would only i would only feel better for maybe a couple hours and then all of a sudden the anxiety is back again and I wasn't sure what to do with that. I was Mm -hmm. like, these have always worked in the past, but that's also how I noticed that like something was wrong and I needed to change something again because those breathing exercises that once worked for me just weren't working anymore.
0: So where'd you go then? What did you do?
1: So um I went to counseling and psychological services Mm -hmm. on campus and I originally went in, so they have walk-in hours every day. And so I went in during that because I had a day's break in between my classes. And they had me, like, fill out a ridiculous amount of paperwork. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, like, I had, to, I had to fill out stuff on papers. I had to take this little, this, I had to take, like, two different things on the computer. It was a wow. lot. But then I waited and I got in to see a counselor, and they kind of did like an intake report on me, and I only saw, I only saw them once, but um, but so then they talked about what my options were, and at that point I was willing to try everything, but I told, but I told them I'm like I've done counsel I've done just plain counseling in the past where it's just, like, coping mechanisms and where I just sit and talk. Mm-hmm. But those mechanisms and everything just don't seem to be giving me the relief that they used
0: to. Mm-hmm. And so
1: they said, well, we will, we will put you on a wait list to see one of the psychiatrists in our department. But in the meantime, we want you to do group therapy, which, looking back on it, I was like, I literally told you I have anxiety in big groups of people, but sure, go ahead put me in group therapy. But-
0: Group therapy is hard.
1: But it was, it was really hard and I, and I hated group therapy with a the burning passion. Really nothing got really nothing got done in there. It, it, was, it was kind of just a, re, it was kind of a repeat from high school and I, and I was like, I, under, I kind of understand why they put me in group therapy and why they suggested it. But also I told them that like the methods that I'm learning have, like I already learned in high school they aren't working for me like they used to. So obviously, I need something either stronger or just something else that is going to work and give me longer relief.
0: Mm-hmm. So was there anything they provided that provided that long-term relief, or was it just everything you tried before?
1: In the group therapy, it was honestly a lot of the stuff we tried before. They gave us ideas for, like, Little games we could play to distract us, where it was like, where it was like, if you're feeling a panic attack coming on, just uh, go through your senses and name the things you can see, smell, touch, hear, you know, all of that stuff. There was the name game, so like they were like, or the categories game, so like pick a category and then just name as many things as you can in that category to distract your brain. Um, But most of the stuff was like, they literally had us, I think, in one in one session where everyone in the class has got up and we had to walk in a circle in a particular way. <laughs> and I said, when am I
0: ever going to be having a panic attack around a lot of people who are going to be willing to walk in a circle? With me? Yeah. <laughs> and, also, and also, if I'm in public having
1: a panic attack, I am not going to get up and just walk in a circle like like Over like and over again. And like, yeah. yeah, so no, I'm not going to do that. So that's why that's why when I finally got an appointment with the psychiatrist, I was like, finally, I'll get the answers I need.
0: And you got the answers there at the psychiatrist. Yes, oh,
1: my so my psychiatry appointment. I had to wait for a couple weeks just because just because the wait list is so long. And I went in and she asked me like all the basic questions. So it like you know, how do you feel around these things? Like how how, what are you, what are you feeling right now? And I told, and I told her everything about how, like, I could bear. I could barely just, like, speak to, speak to cashiers at stores. Like, I could barely order my own food. I was so nervous. Like, I just, I did not, I did not do well. And then I, and then I would come home and just worry, worry, worry about things that, like, are way far off, are way far off in the future or things that don't even apply to me. Just all these hypothetical situations and mm-hmm. in the hour I was there she had a diagnosis for me and it
0: was generalized anxiety disorder so you got diagnosed with a the psychiatrist then yeah Okay, and then what did she go what did you do from there did you go back to the psychiatrist, or did she give you any medication or any therapy or
1: uh both actually so I really love my psychiatrist mm-hmm. shout out to Dr. McUnit um but um she prescribed me prozac because and part of the reason i love my psychiatrist i love my psychiatrist is because she went through all the different possible medications that she could put me on and explained how they would work how they Mm -hmm. would affect me what their price was everything like that and she like threw diagrams on a the paper and everything so i understood it and i felt so much better about the whole thing because she had she's taken the time to explain it to me like that yeah and and so eventually we settled on prozac because it was the most cost efficient option and it would and it wouldn't mess me up too much
0: that's not that she like talked through all your options with you like rather than just giving you just a random uh pill to take
1: yeah, it was it was really awesome. Like we went through we went through like like I have an anxiety disorder, but I'm prescribed an antidepressant because they because they do work for anxiety disorders as well. Yeah. Um, so she, talk, she talked about that, and she talked about what SSRIs are and everything like that, and it just it helped me feel so much better. Like especially in the point afterwards when my body was getting used to the medication and I
0: was miserable. So how long did it take the medication to go into effect? Because I know Prozac can take three to four weeks to get into effect.
1: Yeah, so for, yeah, that was about what it was for me. So for about three to four weeks, and my psychiatrist had warned me about it. She warned me, she's like, this is going to make you feel awful for a while until it builds up in your body enough to really start making a difference. I said, okay, yeah, and I did not understand what she meant because that was I was so, I was just so anxious and all the time and like, any pretty much any little thing would set me off and I would just kind of crumble and it also didn't help that like around that time I was starting my job as a resident assistant, so I had all this stuff going on at once and I
0: just,
1: it was it was a lot to handle all at once but the the three to four weeks as rough as they were, I'm glad I went through them because I gave the medication a chance, and I'm glad I did because the medication has made me
0: so much better now. Was there a specific moment when you just, like, realized it was working?
1: Yeah, um, one of my very good friends had come over to my dorm room one night, and he... Telling me, we were just sitting in my chair, sitting in my chairs, and he was telling. He like looked over at me and he mentioned, "Hey, you're not bouncing your leg like you usually do." And I went, "Oh, I guess I'm not." And he's like, and then he kind of used that as a jumping off point. And he and he said, "You are doing so much better now that you're on medication for your anxiety. I can tell that you're happier. You're more relaxed and." Like he said, like I wasn't as digity because I had things to worry about. Like I was just, I was more like the person to that I was before all of this had
0: happened. That must have been nice to hear.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I almost cried that night when you said
0: that. So you said it was a mix of both the medication and the therapy. Did you continue to go to therapy with the medication or do you currently just take the medication by itself?
1: I go to I go to therapy and I take the medication. Um so my so my psychiatrist is pretty much I think like about every two weeks, maybe a little bit longer in between, I have appointments with my psychiatrist here at OU where we evaluate what all is happening, how I'm feeling, if my medication needs adjusted, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and it's helped a lot because my my psychiatrist also has the same sense of humor that I do, so I can <laughs> be super sarcastic, and yeah. she's and she's fine with. She reacts. She reacts the same way, which is which is what I need. Mm-hmm. And um, so going there and seeing her, and I think the combination of having that neutral person to talk to and having a medication has helped me
0: the most. Yeah. And how often do you see her again?
1: Usually, usually it's about, it's about every two weeks.
0: There it um, it,
1: honest, it honestly kind of depends on how on how I'm doing. Right now, it's going to be like every two weeks because I am currently in the process of actually
0: switching medication. Oh, what are you switching to? Uh,
1: Lexapro.
0: Um, and
1: the reason for that is. My Prozac, I am currently on the highest FDA-recommended dose of Prozac, which, yeah. I mean, technically she could prescribe she could prescribe higher, but she told me she does not want to do that in this setting. And while I was in, so I was in Russia for a month this summer. Yeah. And, yeah, while I was in Russia, I was just, I was an absolute mess. Even if I was, even if I would take my medication on those days, it was just—it seemed like it didn't help. And there was one day where, where I called their offices, and I was just like, "What do I need to do? Do I need to take more of this, or what? Just what do I need to do?" And that was kind of when I—that was kind of when I realized, like, when I go back to campus, this is something we need to talk about, and something we can to confront and see it it's
0: time for me to switch. Okay. Is Lexapro just a better... Uh, how's it different from Prozac?
1: Um, honestly, I couldn't really tell you. I think it just... It just. I think Lexapro targets a different um, serotonin receptor in your brain than Prozac does. Um, sure. And also, a funny thing about Prozac is that you have, to, you have to take it in the morning because Prozac helps keep you awake as well. Whereas Lexapro, I'm gonna have to take it at night because it can make me sleepy. And I think it's just all about like which receptors that they interact with. But she just explained that Lexapro would probably be would probably be a good option for me because again we went through all of them and she was like, I don't wanna I don't wanna do this. Like she's like maybe I'll do a beta blocker for you because those have been shown to treat anxiety to help treat anxiety and things like that. And, but Lexapro seemed to be the one that wouldn't cause any, like, major changes with my mood and wouldn't, like, and wouldn't bring up other things. Like, Lex- Lexapro isn't going to cause me to gain, like, a part of weight like some of the other medications
0: would, for example. Yeah. I mean, yeah, being in a new and completely different environment definitely would not have helped. Were you still able to enjoy Russian at all?
1: And I, was, I still enjoyed it, partially because of the friends I made in the internship it was it was rough if I'm gonna be honest like don't get me wrong I still love Russia I still I'm still very sad that I went on that trip but for the first for the first week it was just getting used to it and I was like oh that's fine and then second week is when like homesickness and anxiety really started setting in because while I was there I was writing an article and they were like Oh yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to interview people. You're going to. You're going to have to do all this research. Blah 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 blah. And that just started setting in my mind. I'm like, I'm
0: not experienced enough with this.
1: Like, I had only taken the language for three years, and I was nowhere near fluent enough to be, be conducting interviews in a completely different language.
0: Do you have to do everything and, in Russian?
1: Uh, my entire article was written in Russian. Yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah.
1: Like for me. For some people, speaking is easier. For me, reading and writing a language is so much easier than
0: speaking mm-hmm. it. i would be, like, intimidating, especially the uh, the interviewing part.
1: That's what scares me the most about the project because, and I told my editor in Russia, I was like, even in the U.S., like, I have to psych myself up for all of the interviews I do. Yeah. Like, they make me so anxious, and I, and honestly, I don't like doing this. I don't like being the person conducting an interview.
0: <laughs> That's fair. And so, like, this is, like, now I have to do it in Russian? It just seems like so much in such a new environment.
1: Oh, yeah. It was it was a lot. And especially because I was only there for, for a month. Yeah. Which is <laughs> really not a lot of time. so the first week and the last week were okay. But, like, those middle two weeks in July when I was there were just, they were not, they were not good. Like, yeah. and it's nothing, it was nothing wrong with this, with really the city or my host family or anything, it was just my anxiety was bad, and I wish it wasn't because it kind of ruined the experience.
0: How did your article end up turning out?
1: Um, I think it ended up turning out really well. My editor, I think, was really impressed with it. Um, That's good. I haven't, I honestly haven't heard anything back from them in a hot minute. I'm hoping he still thinks it's okay, but we'll see.
0: Hopefully gets published. That'd be really cool, though. The whole thing in a different language. Yeah, I'm
1: really, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it, and I'm probably going to post it. I'm probably going to post it as as part of my, like, journalism portfolio.
0: That'd be mad impressive. I just
1: just haven't gotten around to that yet. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Did your host family, while you were in Russia, did your host family help at all with, like, the issues you were having? Or, I mean, I don't know how much they could help, but it just seemed like your whole social support system
1: the thing is is that I didn't tell them how I was feeling because even to this day I am still very stubborn about that and I don't Mm -hmm. want people to see me when
0: I'm super anxious so it was just like I
1: would would kind of disappear to my room or I would go out with my friends and they wouldn't they really wouldn't see me a whole lot and like my host family was super nice. My host, my host mom, uh, Eleonora, was um, was very sweet. <laughs> and during during the first week, she was concerned that I was starving because I really only eat big meal a day, and that's and in Russia that's like unheard of. Yeah. So she was like very concerned that I was that I was starving. And then my host my host sister uh, Nadezhda, was was very kind to me. Like, she was she was literally the older sister that I had never had, and yeah. I love her best. Um, but, yeah, I was just, I didn't want to tell them how I was feeling because immediately my mind goes to, oh, they're going to think it's because of them. But it's
0: not.
1: It's just, my brain is this, this really special kind of messed up. There's not really a good way to explain it.
0: Yeah. So, th- like, a lot of people... Usually you usually rely on a support system? And obviously, like, it's very hard to discuss mental health with anyone. Um, do you still rely on, a so, like, a specific set of social support system where it's just only a few individuals that you trust who knows what you're dealing with, and that's the people you rely on if you're ever going through something? Or is it just that you rely on the therapy and the medication your psychiatrist rather instead?
1: Well, I... I use the support system and the psychiatry and medication um, because there are so, there are some things where if I'm feeling anxious about something and I just talk, have my friends help me like work through it, and they talk me through it, mm-hmm. I'll be totally fine. And yeah. I reckon, and usually I can recognize those things where I just need to talk to them and be and be okay. And so I still have the support system. Um, I still talk with my very best friend back home, um, or two of my good friends back home, I, uh, I talk to my girlfriend a lot because she yeah. has a lot of the same issues that I do, um, so we can kind of, we can kind of relate and be on the same level in that way, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's just all of these friends that are super close, that are super close to me and, like, no how bad that thing can get, I still rely on them. Like I, like I FaceTimed one of my friends from college autumn while I was in yeah. Russia because I was like, I just need I just need someone to talk to you like right here,
0: right That's now. It.
1: And I don't know if it and I didn't know if it would help, but mm. talking to her did help a little bit. But I but it was still something where me and her decided and concluded and also me and my girlfriend concluded that when I get back to the States and when I see my psychiatrist again, I definitely need to talk about my
0: medication and how it isn't working as well, mm. but it seems like your psychiatrist is super helpful. So hopefully they'll be, you know, they'll be solved sooner rather than later. Um, now looking back at it, um, with all your issues starting from middle school onwards, how do you feel? Uh, how 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 do you uh, internalize your 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 story your your issues with anxiety?
1: I, since coming to college, I've been a little bit more open about my struggle with anxiety, especially mm-hmm. mainly now because I'm an, I'm an adult and like if I want to seek help for these things, I can. And I'm not like under my parents where my parents decide, oh, we're not gonna spend the money on that, blah, blah, blah. Like my tuition, my tuition pays for my psychiatry Yeah. <laughs> it pays for my psychiatry appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can make that decision. And I'm more open about it because I don't want people to end up like me where they lose three to four years of their life because their anxiety messes with their brain so much. They just have Mm -hmm. no memories of those years because when when I first realized that, I was actually in a FaceTime call with my girlfriend and my girlfriend had started crying. And I asked her, I was like, wait, why why are you crying? And she goes, Annie, that's really sad. And I said, what is? And she's like, you do not, you cannot remember anything from sixth through ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and that kind of like hit me in the gut. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is pretty bad. So mainly, I just don't want, I don't want people to end up like me where they lose, where they lose these important memories. And I don't want people to struggle for so long that they have to go through self harm or suicidal ideation or anything like that because I know how bad it is and I know how bad it sucks yeah. so I tell people I'm completely open I'm like I have an anxiety disorder so if I'm having a bad day like this is this is what it is it's diagnosed I'm taking medication for it and I will get better but yeah. I do struggle with it and I always tell people who are like going, who who are worried that they might be dealing with the same thing I tell them um, talk to me because I've been through that. And while my experience is definitely may not be the same as your experience, or will be the same as your experience, I still know how bad it feels
0: yeah. to be in that
1: place. So as of now, I'm I'm a little more I'm a little more open about it. Um, but with my with my family, I'm a little more closed off about it because again, it's just I don't I don't want them. To worry too much yeah. about me. Like, I want them to know
0: that i being independent and that I can function on my own. I just need a little help from time to time. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another question I was curious about, uh, since, like, you were telling me how you, oh, like, you, you go to a different university than I do. I go to Ohio State. She goes to Ohio University um, in Athens. And I was curious, how does your... Um, your university deal with mental health and provide services for those with mental health. I know with my friends that I've talked to, they've said that like while the service here, services here are great, there sometimes are too many people that they just get so you know, overwhelmed with them that many people don't get the services they need. Do you feel the same way at Ohio University, or do you think they're better equipped to deal with um, mental health? on their campus?
1: Um, honestly, I think it's about, it's about the same as, really? well, any university you go to. Yeah. But, especially now, as the generation that we're in is are becoming adults and we're being, I mean, more aware of these things that are happening and we're not trying to shove them down for the sake of survival mm-hmm. and we want to feel better because we realize that this is a really bad way to feel. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think that colleges mean well and they do try their best to to give students access to mental health resources. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the funding just the funding just isn't there. It's it's expensive to have psychiatrists, counselors, mm-hmm. all of that just ready for any student that needs that needs the help. And, especially, and like I said, especially with our generation and younger generations coming after us, just realizing that, like, oh, maybe this isn't how, how I'm supposed to be feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, they, just have, they just have this influx of, of people, and they, they just don't have the resources to properly deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wasn't happy about having to be on a wait list to see a psychiatrist. But it's, I was like, this. if this is what it takes for me to get the help that I need, then I'll
0: wait. Yeah. Preferably just get it right and then, because the, some people don't have luxury.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's the same, it was the same thing at, um, at, it's the same thing at my girlfriend's school, so she's a grad student at Indiana State University, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing, like, she, if she wanted to get in to see a counselor she had to wait a while and if she wanted to see the psychiatrist she had to wait even longer and for people that are like, that are like in crisis sometimes waiting just isn't an option yeah for me i was fortunate i was fortunate enough that i was that i was not i was not like i was in high school where i did have suicidal ideation and i could wait in order to be seen by a psychiatrist or by a counselor but mm. i know for a lot of people that's just not the case and they don't want to wait, and I understand that feeling. Yeah. But but on college campuses, unfortunately, the waiting game is something you have to play if you're looking for help with uh, mental
0: uh, illness. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just the the lack of funding is just a reality we have to face. I'm just hoping something changes where we're just able to find that funding, so that way people can get the help they need, just like, you know, if they have a physical condition, they can just go to a minute clinic, Yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, and people also, the the lack of funding also definitely has to deal with the stigma around mental illness, because usually when people think mental illness or, oh, they have a mental disorder, they think, oh, you... They think they automatically think back to like old asylums yeah. and electro electro shock therapy <laughs> and, and things like that. And mm. the thing is, is like what I tell people, what I try to tell people, and what I try to be very public about is the fact that like I'm just like you. My brain just functions much differently than yours, and I just need I need a little help in order to get through life. Mm. Like if I have that, if I have if I don't have that help, like I can get through it. But i
0: not happy. Exactly. And it's just like, it, it shouldn't be something understated. It, it's not something you just say, okay, I'm just going to get over it. You know, it's, it's like someone always told me, it's, it's literally just like a physical condition. You know, you, you, you break your leg. You want to get it fixed. Sure, you can walk, but it's going to hurt. Like mental health is the same way. It's just something you just can't see. But it's something someone deals with on a daily basis and affects them constantly it and is-
1: i think i think the lack of like something that you can see that's physical definitely adds to that stigma because i remember when i would like when i first went to my psychiatrist uh during my sophomore year of college uh she had me go home one weekend to have my blood tested because she wanted to make sure that there was nothing like physical happening in my body that could be treated yeah. That was contributing to my anxiety, like seems like my thyroid and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. My thyroid is complete. My thyroid is completely normal. The only thing that was off was that my vitamin D levels were slightly low. But mm. other than that, it was completely normal. And so it really is just a chemical imbalance in my brain. And there's really no way that they can physically show that. And it was really hard for. I think, and I think it still is for my parents to wrap their head around that, that it's nothing in my body that's causing this. It's just my brain literally is just wired differently. And it makes, and without the proper help and medication, I am like it, I can function, but I, but I'm functioning at like the bare
0: minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And that understanding is super important. Especially as we, as more people are becoming more aware of the issues around mental health, so yeah, um, but yeah, it's a great conversation I've had with you, and thank you so much once again for coming on. Just a couple of last minute questions to you know wrap this whole thing up. There are going to be people who have gone what you're going through, and other people who have not. Um, so my question to you is, you know, what do you say to both types of people? Uh, what do you say to those? Who are currently going through what you're going through, um, and what do you go? What do you say to people who might have not gone through what you're going through, or might have a loved one who is going through something similar to what you've gone through? What would you say to both types of people? To the
1: people going through a situation like mine, I would say keep fighting. Um, you may not win every battle, but that's okay Um, and the battle is hard it's tough I'm not I'm not gonna lie or sugarcoat it it's really tough to be able to say I need help and then go and seek that help but it is so important that you do and the minute you do at least in my experience you feel so much better after admitting I need help just admitting the fact that I need help was tough but getting the help you need will make you feel so much better and you will notice a difference after getting help than before getting help. Yeah. Um and to the people who aren't struggling with mental aren't struggling with mental illness and just want to contribute to the conversation, um I think the biggest thing that I tell people is to just be patient. Um because whether you're with someone who has had this who has had a mental illness has this mental illness for a while and they're and they're currently getting treatment for it, or someone who is just realizing that they may need treatment for this, just be patient. Like it's just, we're figuring this out as we go as we go too. And if and if we knew what was what was causing this, then we wouldn't be getting the help we needed. So yeah. just, be patient with us because we're we're working through our problems and we really don't understand our problems yeah. almost as much as you understand our problems. Yeah. So we just understand that there's this thing happening in our brains. We need a little bit of help functioning. And we're just kinda of, we're just kinda of rolling with it at this point because like in my experience with as someone with anxiety, there's no way to predict when my anxiety is gonna spike. Like I don't really have any real triggers. Like I still can't be around the in, and then, like a super large room with a bunch of people where it's super loud. Like loud noises are one of my really big triggers. Uh-huh. To this day, I don't know why. But other than that, there's no way for me to predict when my anxiety is going to spike or when I'm going to have a panic attack. It just, it just
0: happens. So
1: be patient. Just be patient with things when things happen with
0: us. Be patient. Yeah, I think that's super important. Well, then the last question, um, so who, who are you? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But, um, uh, you're going metaphorical now. <laughs> on, the, on the surface,
1: <laughs> yeah, on the surface <laughs> level, uh, my name is Annie Goins, and I am a senior at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. I study journalism and history, and I am getting a Russian studies certificate and I will be going into law. And on a more deeper level, I like to draw. And unironically, my favorite beer in the world is one that is brewed in Athens,
0: Ohio. <laughs> Which beer is that?
1: Uh, Raz Wheat by Jackie
0: O's. Ooh, sounds good. Well, alrighty, thank you so much, Annie, um, for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. If you liked this week's story and want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to us and give us a positive rating. Additionally, I wanted to give you guys some updates on the podcast format. While we will continue our focus on mental health, we wanted to better advocate... For those affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. So future episodes will feature not only students, but health professionals fighting on the front lines and community members who have either been infected or have had their loved ones infected with coronavirus. We at Hidden in Plain Sight are very excited to share these stories and perspectives with you all in the coming weeks. If you are interested in sharing your story, please contact me at rola.3 at osu.edu so we can get that set up. Thank you all once again for listening, and I will see you guys back here next week. Stay safe.